Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. From amazing new photos of Jupiter, all the way to trying to see how we could keep things alive on other planets. Now, places like spaceships are great for keeping humans alive, but they also keep a whole bunch of other stuff, fungi and bacteria alive as well. And we have to be very, very careful in how we manage that. And can things from Earth survive in Martian soil? All this and more as we turn our eyes to space. After travelling for almost six years, we're finally now getting some of the first beautiful imagery from NASA's Juno mission which is in orbit around Jupiter, and has just completed a close flyby of the great red spot on Jupiter's cloudy, cloudy upper atmosphere. And the photos from this great red spot are truly breathtaking. Now, ever since launching in 2011 and making the very, very long journey all the way to Jupiter, we've been waiting eagerly these photos, because whilst we've had other missions from Voyager, Galileo, New Horizons, Hubble... The purpose of Juno is in, to study the Juvian moons in detail, and that also gives it the ability to get really, really close in its orbit, about 3,500 kilometers above the planet's cloud top. So it is really brushing really close the clouds of Jupiter. And that means you get to see some fantastic detail of these great storms. Now, the Great Red Spot is about 1.3 times the size of Earth, roughly 16,000 kilometers. And we've known about it since 1830, and we believe it's existed for at least 350 years. Now, as we monitor the Great Red Spot over time, we know that it does change in size and shape and configuration. At the moment, it appears to be shrinking. Why and what exactly is going on there, we're not entirely sure. But studying it with the myriad array of sensors and observation equipment on Juno gives us a great way to look in detail at this wonderful piece of our solar system. Now, Juno is not just pointing some of its very high-powered cameras at it. It's actually got eight different scientific instruments which are poised to study the Great Red Spot. And then we can use this data as we go through later on to compare and contrast and have this snapshot in time of the Great Red Spot and build up more information as we go through. Now, whilst NASA took some fantastic photos, they've actually released the raw images that enables citizen scientists to get in on the act, including yourself if you want to take a chance at trying to process these images direct from Jupiter yourself. Uh, And there has been some amazing colorizations and renderings of these. So basically, whilst they give you the raw images, how you balance the color levels, how you adjust the saturations of different parts of the the spectrum can yield strikingly different images. snapshots or maybe you want to crop in and focus on a particular section of Jupiter or enhance another area and that's what a lot of people are doing and the results are fantastic so if you head to missionjuno.swri.edu you can actually get into the Juno cam images yourself and actually start processing them and feel like you're involved as part of NASA's Juno mission Of course, if nothing else, you should go and have a look at the photos because they are truly stunning, particularly some of the renderings that have been undertaken by citizen scientists themselves. Full links and details will be included in our episode notes page on our blog.
Now from one side of the solar system to the other, from the storms around Jupiter to the soil on Mars. Now we've been studying the soil on Mars and searching for clues to life there for many, many years. Notably, the Phoenix lander in 2008 was designed specifically to land in the polar region and study in detail the life in the soil. And based on the results of this mission, some researchers have been studying could life or bacteria actually survive in the levels and conditions present in Mars's soil. Now, from the analysis from several NASA missions to Mars, we know that percolates are a common compound present in a lot of Martian soil. And in theory, percolates, this would seem to appear to boost the habitability of Mars, it seemed to make you know, the soil on Mars more likely to support life. They lower the freezing point of water, for example, and they could be an energy source for different microorganisms. But a study conducted at the UK Centre for Astrobiology at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, led by Jennifer Wadsworth and Charles Cockle, have been exposing Baculus subitalis, it's a bacterium that's commonly found as a spacecraft contaminant, to percolites, which we know there is plenty of in the Martian soil, as well as to UV radiations levels similar to those found at the Martian surface. Now, since Mars doesn't have an atmosphere anywhere close to the density of Earth's, changes in UV radiation are much higher on Mars than they are on Earth, and that causes it to be a major factor. And what the main outcome of this study seems to be is that, well, all this UV radiation activates the chlorine compounds in the percolates and turns them from being a potential food source and freezing point reducer to a toxic chemical killer that kills all these little microbes that could be present. So when these microbes, this common spacecraft contaminant, Baculus subtilis, were exposed to the, a, per, a mix of percolates with the UV activation, they basically lost their viability as bacteria within minutes of being exposed to these Mars-like conditions. If they added in common iron oxides and hydrogen peroxides, two other common elements of Martian soil, things that were found on the Martian surface in large abundance, the, in, a, in the span of about 60 seconds, these irradiated percolates that have now started to become microbe killers feed on the iron oxides and hydrogen peroxides, and it makes the death rate of these just a simple baculus subtilis even faster than before, about 10 times faster than just exposing to UV radiation alone. So not just one thing, but many things in Mars's soil and atmosphere are combining to make it incredibly difficult for bacteria life to survive there. Now, Okay, what does this mean for searching for life on Mars? Well, it just means in this particular study that bacteria subtilis will have a tough time surviving on Mars. And that's important because that's often a very common spacecraft contaminant. Now, before we send anything to space and to other planets, we make sure it is clean, clean as possibly as it can be, because we don't want to kill or unnecessarily interfere with any life on those planets by exposing them to some earthbound bacteria that will do harm and damage to another planet. So even if there was a contaminant like this bacteria subtilis, it would die out pretty quickly on Mars. But that's not to say that something couldn't survive on Mars. 
Bacterius subtilis is a, a garden variety microbe. It's not an extremophile that's adapted to thrive in harsh conditions with toxic things around it and high levels of radiation. And we know here on Earth that extremophiles can survive in places that we didn't even think was remotely possible for life. So that doesn't mean that Mars can't have life, but simple bacterium life in the soil that we have here on Earth can't just be transplanted to Mars. So this is a little interesting study being done out of the UK to show that whilst Mars looks like it might be an inviting place to live in the soil, it's going to require some pretty tough and hardy bacteria to thrive there because the soil and everything around it is really out to get you. Now, whilst the soil of another planet may be difficult for life to thrive in, or at least life as we know it on Earth, any type of habitat, whether it be a space station or a ground-bound habitat structure, maybe an inflatable lunar structure or Mars structure like you might have seen in The Martian, could be incredibly easy for different types of bacteria or fungi life to thrive in. And whilst that's good, because we need to also thrive in these environments, it presents a whole bunch of different challenges. If you've ever suffered from hay fever or any other kind of bacteria or fungi-based sort of illness, such as allergies, asthma, and skin infections, then you'll know that it's not particularly comfortable. But the problem is, these habitats that are doing such a good job at keeping humans alive are also keeping a whole bunch of other stuff alive. And that when you're locked in with it for a long period of time, may not be so good. So researchers at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, Caltech as well, are working together, led by Dr. Kasturi Venkawatsaran, to study what impact fungi and other extremophiles that could journey with us to another planet could have in close proximity as we live and stay inside these structures for long periods of time. So the first thing they did was take the inflatable Lunar Mars Analog Habitat, or ILMA, which is a simulated closed environment space that mimics conditions that are found right now on the International Space Station, as well as the planned designs for human habitats on other planets. And what they monitored was the overall fungal density and diversity over time, when humans were present and when humans weren't present. And what they found is that, well, there's certain kind of fungi, including pathogens that can colonize on the human body and cause allergies such as asthma and skin infections. They tended to increase in number while humans were living inside the habitat. As the stays become more prolonged in closed loop systems, that would become even more stressful on the actual inhabitants themselves and also decreases the ability of their immune systems to respond positively to that. And that makes them much more vulnerable to opportunistic pathogens like fungi. And the thing is that fungi, unlike the common bacteria, bacteria that we were talking about earlier, are extremophiles. They can survive in harsh conditions like deserts, caves, nuclear accident sites, places with high UV radiation or toxic percolates that are there to eat them. They can survive a whole bunch of stuff. And that means that trying to eradicate them is also incredibly difficult. It also as a risk, not just for the inhabitants, but the habitat structures themselves could be deteriorated by such fungal communities. So what we need to do 
is develop countermeasures, countermeasures that can work with them and also minimize the impact that they're going to have. Now, the primary goal of this Ilma habitat on at JPL and Caltech campus is to actually study the both physiological and psychology and behavioral changes of humans who are working in a confined environment together for periods of time. That They cycle through three student crews for 30-day periods through this habitat, and they use that opportunity to actually study the fungal species present at the time, what the compositions of the mycobiome and how that changes during human habitation through a various collection of samples and study. And since these habitats were completely isolated from the outside world, at least on the inside, that is, the only exchange between them was a process of filtering air. So they could actually get a good idea of locking down a biological system and watching how it changes over time. So one of the types of fungi that, that thrived was the Cladosporidium cladosaurides, which is a common outdoor fungus, and that really started to thrive. It started off at a low level when they first began the experiments, but it tended to take off over time. And that's okay because it doesn't cause infection in humans normally, but it can cause an asthma-like reaction, particularly in people with weakened immune systems, such as astronauts. So we need to really have more detail on the types of things we will take with us when we leave Earth into space and how that could affect us in the long run. And it just goes to show that space travel is an immensely complicated endeavor. And you have to think about all possible things that could go wrong or develop as you're there over time. So this is some great work being done by JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, in conjunction with Caltech. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From amazing photos of Jupiter all the way to the ways bacteria and fungi can thrive inside our spaceships and struggle with the environments of other planets like Mars. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.